0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shi'urim and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay, we were in the middle last time and we were discussing the different elements of evolution. We spoke about um, three aspects of evolution that need to, um, three aspects of life that need to be addressed. One is the transition from lifeless to life, one is the transition from the simple to the complex, and one is from the complex to man. And we said that, um, the theory of evolution itself addresses simple to complex. It tends to see man as just another version of complex, so there's no need to explain, um, that last phase, that last leg. And, the bridge between non-living to living is going to be a different discipline. It wasn't addressed really by Darwin. It wasn't addressed by uh, the main uh, aspects of evolutionary theory. But it's something called abiogenesis, which is trying to explain how the lifeless became life. And there is obviously some difficulty explaining explain what is life. Hmm. We gave a general explanation of something that is an active um, self-organizing, um, organism, and so on. The, um, we were speaking about the cell, and we mentioned the, that a a simple cell is anything but simple. We quoted, it needs approximately, there are approximately 60 to 70,000 different proteins that each one has a very specific function. We also touched on the conundrum of DNA, um, protein, proteins, Come about are manufactured by DNA. DNA is a written code of instruction, which is completely. Um, it, 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 it has absolutely. It, it it's a it's not thing, but rather it is instruction. And did the DNA come first? If DNA um, if DNA came first, it's very very hard to understand how. Chance could have written a book. It's not materials. It's it's literally a code of a chain of of of, of uh, molecules. And um, on the other hand, proteins themselves without DNA would just finish and die at that point. There's no there's no way to do anything without the DNA. I would like to add another point about cells and living things and DNA, etc. This is from a book called The Way of the Cell. It is a, um, written by, we'll find his name in a minute, um, this is The Way to Sell, Origins and Order of Life. It is written by somebody called Franklin Harold, who is Professor Meridius of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at Colorado State University. Um, same thing, it is also a, um, it's written, it's a science book, published by Oxford University Press, um, which simply, uh, I, I just have these. These are books that I read at random, it's not, I wasn't looking for anything. And um, he talks about cells, also an extremely readable book and very well. Now, he begins to understand, he has a chapter called, It Takes a Cell to Make a Cell. Um, molecules into, cell, into cells, paradigm wanted. I seldom open the hood of my car other than to check the oil for the tangle of wires, tubes, and terminals is unintelligible to me. I guess uh, he's a biology professor only. I must take my mechanics word for it that they make the wheels go round and they provide the safety, comfort, and compliance with the law. Um, the massive, and I can't read this because I did not um, photocopy it well, but at any rate the E. coli stirs similar wonders, and um, but the sheer formation of it overwhelms the faculties. Unfortunately, in this case, there is no higher authority to which to turn, um, because the point is going to be making is that um, it, it, um, we are trying. It's like somebody were to ask you, "How does a car work?" and the person says it is X amount of iron, X amount of chrome, X amount of copper, X amount of rubber. And the prevailing framework for thinking about biological organization comes in the form of the genetic paradigm. It's built on the established relationship between genes and proteins, but it's vastly enlarged its scope. And so the, 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 the understanding that we have is that the genes determine the cell. Now he says um it de- it the genes determine the recipe he says there is nothing about the physical layout of the cell that is mapped on the genome. all that it does is it's a recipe for producing the proteins which it comes from so he says um stated thus the genetic paradigm is not a hypothesis drawn from um I think the word is infallible propositions, but what in German, what is called in German a Weltanschauung, a worldview, that expresses the reductionist spirit of contemporary science. Now, for instance, he says, growth and morphogenesis in the e the classic proven ground of the genetic paradigm, forces one to ponder the inward meaning of the potent metaphor form and development clearly come under the genes writ, as attested by many mutants in which these features are altered. So, we know that if we destroy some of the genes, its features and the shape and so on are changed. Um, Though not explicitly specific to genetic instructions, a rod with rounded caps must be one implication of the set as a whole just as the delicate flavor of the marble cake that my wife bakes on special occasions is nowhere mentioned in her notes. But wait, the product of those genes, insofar as we know them, turn out to be enzymes and other proteins that perform essential but mundane local tasks. In other words, to the extent of what we know, a gene simply produces a certain type of chemical. Knowledge of the genes and what they encode is nowhere near sufficient to explain how the cell elongates, divides, and shortly produces a pair of rods with rounded caps. Um, what we seek to understand emerges from sociology of molecules, not their chemistry, and carries us into a different layer of reality. Um, indeed, how could it be otherwise? A growing cell is not a self-assembling set of puzzle pieces, but the product of generative process mediated by multiple molecules The physiological pathways deployed in space. The reactions that shape a cell have, of course, a chemical dimension, but unlike their fellows in the test tubes, many of them display direction, location, and timing. Cell biology is about chemical and physical events that take place here rather than there, transport matter from here to there, not now, but later, um, when called for. In other words, the, the, the picture that we have where you, if you take genes, they produce proteins, is is the accounts for the metal of the car, for the rubber of the car, for the for the chrome of the car, for the plastic of the car. but where w- 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 um, take a look at a human being um, if if, if uh, our physiology is off by a bit, the the nose happened to be a little longer, person looks misformed, if the leg is a drop shorter. Where are the instructions for the shape of people have very distinctive shapes? Children carry shapes of, of, of their parents and, and in a very noticeable way. So, so we have a general, um, form, um, and it once your eyes have opened to these upper levels of order, as mine were by Peter Mitchell 30 years ago, you see them everywhere. e colour like all cells, we look at cells as little blobs of protein. That's absolutely not true. They, it, e colour like all cells, practices biochemistry with an attitude. And it lists them, vectorial transmembrane reactions. Vectorial, vectorial means directional for for those. It it means it's, it's not diffuse, it has very specific directions. Vectorial insertion of membrane proteins. Localization of chemical receptor proteins. They have, there's clear places where different receptors are located, it's not random. Direct assembly of the FTSZ ring, which I profess complete ignorance. Diffuse elongation of sidewalls, finding the cells midpoint, spatial markers for morphogenesis, orientation of of murine links by stress, and many more. So, cellular organization is chemical and molecular, bred in the genes, but a cell reaches much farther, flaunting capacities that are rooted in the operations of a larger unit. If you think of the genome as software, then cellular organization corresponds to the interpretation of the program by its own unique reader. So, something is reading this DNA and saying, hmm, uh, it, it's 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 um, it's like the difference between, let's give you a muscle. If you go into a pharmacy and you get a prescription, for those of you who um, who remember before the pharmacist, you just take pills out, pill out of a big bottle, put them in a small bottle, they would take different chemicals and mix them together and weigh them and measure them. That's a very flat process. Let's say you go, you send somebody to an orthopedic specialist to create a brace that will help them walk better, that's not mixing anything. He's got to think and, and, and decide on form and structure, et cetera. Somewhere, there's a code that's telling it what it looks like. And even we think of, of a cell as a blob of protein, but it's by far more than that. So, so how did that get encoded? It, the very first cell needed to have, it's not just a hodgepodge of stuff. It needed to have a very clear layout. So where did that come from? And, and how does the layup gets it, it's translated. When you're dealing with chemicals and chemicals, it's, okay, a little nitrogen, a little hydrogen, proteins touch other proteins. They tend to, to, to make duplicate proteins. It's, it's like, you know, as simple as when you put a foot down into sand, it makes an imprint. It's forget about all that. But, but there's so much more written in, we don't know where it's written in. Um, and, again, this is not, it's a book that does not deal with religion. It have no conclusion about God. He's dealing simply with the cells, a very scientific way. And he's saying what we, what we know and understand about it is a very, very simple um, aspect of it. So it's true, I'll give you a muscle. It's true that if you take the yeast out of a cake, it will be flat like a matzah. And therefore it is, uh, it is so in the direction where the chemicals affect the shape. If you take a gene out, a person might have a hardly disformed, he might not have a leg, something like that. That is true. But having yeast in the cake doesn't yet make a cake in it. If you don't put in the right amount of sugar, you don't put in the right amount of warm water, you don't plan for it, you're not going to have a cake. And if you need a cake in a specific shape, you can't even just put chemicals in You've got to stand and shape it. You want it to look like a Torah. You want it to look like, I don't know, a, a, some birthday thing, or whatever it is. It, it's, so there's a whole dimension that we, in the simplest cell that we don't know where it's encoded. So how did that get started? Life needs direction. It needs organization. It needs time. Um, It it needs to know that, just like every computer, must have a clock in it. Because the instructions of first, then, is an element of time. The the chemicals in a cell are not running around, each one trying to do what it wants to do, and coming up with a result. There is a very clear timing. This happens first, it takes in the material first, then digests it, then lets out the waste product. While it's doing this, it's not doing this. While it's doing that, it's not doing the other thing. Um, So it has a built-in clock of sorts. It has a built-in sense of direction. Um, It has a built-in sense of orientation. Um, Where did that come from? Those are the puzzles that he raises. I want to finish this topic And again, the truth is, like I said before, the toelus is not simply in boiling down. If, if, if the bottom line is um, that you heard that life is very complex and couldn't possibly do for itself, it it will erode because that sentence um, does not, by reducing it to that sentence, you basically are leaving open uh, a, a whole new slew of whatever it is. Thinking about it and, and really, you know, sort of sipping each part of it And reading about it is really a great enhancer of Amunah. But I want to finish it with another book, which really, um, it goes to the heart of two things. It goes to the heart of this issue, of the formation of living beings. And it also touches on a very human factor of how much non-belief can become a form of belief. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very important issue when dealing psychologically, where the position is, scientist is pure, objective, looking at things completely objective and willing to accept any conclusion that's rational, reasonable, and good, whereas a religious person comes in with a hang-up and preconceptions, um, I, 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 this was a book that I read that I really, really liked, and it floored me in its conclusions. The book is called The Ascent of Science. Of course, the book is written by a Jew and uh, by an Israeli. The name of the fellow is Brian Silver. Um, he was, he, the book was published in 1997, which is, I think, 10 years is recent enough for us. Uh, the other books were published later, actually, the ones I read before. Brian Silver was professor of physical chemistry, technion Israel Institute of Technology. Very, very prestigious institute, uh, very prestigious job died in 1997 just prior to the publication of this book. Uh, the book, The Ascent of Science, um, has it, two things. It is, um, it, 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 it does, it, it, touches on the important service of science in a very cogent way. He, he is really, really understands his material and um, draws you know, he presents the way thinking developed on different issues, whether it's quantum physics, whether it's biology. And it's definitely a very, very good book. Also published by Axel University Press, also gotten at the bargain prices. Um, and the book has another angle. Besides a, a science book, just telling you what science, I'm reading from the flap of the page, and I think it's a good description, a good description. Um, it, it's, Uh, Throughout the book, it is science as the height of human reason and reason as the surest guide to knowledge that enlivens the story of our emergence from ignorance and superstition to the ability to fathom the deepest mysteries of nature. In other words, the book is saying mankind lived in darkness. We had a lot of gobbled mythology to teach us about the world. And as science, as the sun of science began to rise, pure human reason um, shone. And, uh, we went from Afele Laoro, la Ligula, and so on. For anyone interested in but intimidated by scientific enterprise, the Center of Science provides an inviting assessment of the discipline, that it does do so, yes. It, that it does so without diminishing the complexity of the awe-inspiring power of science as a major accomplishment. Um, basically, I think that's a very good description of the book. Now, he goes through how evolution is a fact. He, he, he brings, and again, he's a very cogent writer where he brings the, um, the things that were discovered, the possibilities of how we look at it, and the conclusions we came to, and so on. The last part about this is called Chapter 27. Um, and by the way, he does not deal only with biology. He deals with all uh, disciplines of science. He seems to be a very, very well-rounded person, but specifically biology and so on. Um, he, um, he start the, 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 the chapter heading is The Origin of Life take your choice. And then that's a quote from Schopenhauer. To believe that the physical and chemical forces could by themselves bring about an organism is not merely mistaken, but as already remarked stupid. And he will unfortunately prove it. I do not know the origin of life. This is him talking. Those of us who hold, like I do, that life emerged spontaneously from inanimate matter are, we must admit, at a distinctly embarrassing disadvantage. We have not yet come up with a convincing mechanism for abiogenesis, which means the beginning of life. Um, In his presidential address to the 1871 meeting of the British Association for the Advancement of Science, Lord Kelvin stated, dead matter cannot become living without coming under the influence of matter previously alive. This seems to be as sure a teaching of science as the law of gravitation. If he is right, which I doubt, then life must have been present in the universe for all past time, which means it was infinite. Either that, or we must turn to the finger of God in the Sistine Chapel, and indeed, after reading this chapter, you may well conclude that there's our only hope. And um, just not to be motilized, this person holds on to his emunah staunchly, and he does not have to go on to that. Um, he actually, um, during the 19th century, Abigenes was given a boost by successful synthesis of organic malchus and inorganic precursors. People in labs have synthesized enzymes. But the fact that we can synthesize amino acids and nucleic acids from inorganic starting material does not explain how life started. We are intelligent beings who can purposely bring together chosen chemicals under carefully controlled conditions. This is very different from accounting for the spontaneous formation of living systems in an inanimate world, empty of all intelligence. And we have come nowhere near creating life in a laboratory. Insulin itself is not life. Um, it's an enzyme. That's all it is, uh, hormone. Now, uh, he, he, um, he brings down, those who prey upon the poet's heart, he quoted something, know that in tackling the problems of your in life, there are two basic and interdependent questions that have, have to be answered. Living systems are based on extremely large and complex carbon-containing molecules. Um, and and, uh, and uh, how did the large, complex, carbon-containing molecules originate in the first place? Second, living systems are very highly organized. The living cell is a very spatially structured entity. Do you remember what we saw from a living cell? It, it, it's got direction, it's got timing, operating through a sophisticated system of catalysis, transport, and feedback mechanism. A cell is not a blob of egg white. A cell is an extraordinary complex machine. We saw 60 to 70,000 different proteins that have very specific functions. How did the molecules of life get organized? Um, one can believe that a complex system like the living cell is capable of manufacturing large complex molecules from simple precursors. But the original manufacturing mechanism has to come from somewhere. Factories making CD plays do not assemble themselves. Believers in abogenesis are forced to accept that life is a self-organized invention. So, he goes through different propositions of how life came about in itself. Um, he, he, um, uh, he, he basically shoots them down one after the other um he goes through all of them and and I must say i'm impressed with how objective he is um out of space uh, molecules and uh and so on um he goes through one of the Russian scientists who was a um who was clearly a a, a, a false um it, it, he goes through i'm thumbing through the pages here um the, the, um, he, he, goes through the methane theory. He goes through every theory and brings very, very, um, he, shows how, um, vague they are, how really they're, they're begging the question and so on. Which came first? Amino acids have emerged from milotype experiments, but not nucleotides. This brings up against the, this brings us up against a fundamental problem. We have seen that DNA is responsible for the replication of the cell. If a primitive cell contained only proteins, it would have no future. It it, it would be it, and that's it. A cake doesn't make cakes. You bake a cake, and that's the end of it. Proteins cannot replicate themselves. Such a cell would eventually age and die without progeny. We're not aware of immortal cells. On the other hand, imagine primitive cells with only nucleotides. We know that DNA can direct duplication of cells initially by duplicating itself, but that duplication needs certain enzymes. For DNA to function, it needs part of the cell. And in a cell with no proteins, DNA could not duplicate. Remember that all enzymes are proteins. Neither could such a cell direct the synthesis of protein, a process that itself requires enzymes. In any case, it is rather difficult to see how such an enzymeless cell would carry out the thousands of functions that are typical of a living cell, which depends absolutely on the presence of enzymes. So um, it stretches even the credulity of a materialistic abiogenesis fanatic. To believe that proteins and nucleotides persistently emerge simultaneously. So, we had the DNA and proteins come together, the right DNA with the right protein, the same point in space from the primeval soup. We are in trouble enough without adding the events of an astronomical improbability. Um, one could of course say that the primeval oceans were so stuffed with amino acids that anywhere the nucleotides appear, they land in the middle of amino acids. No one has suggested up to now and it would require staggering amounts of carbon. So, Yes.
1: Really, He's saying here basically what we saw in yes. the earlier book. Yes. That it, it, well, you, he... You need DNA in a protein cell in order to... Right, make right. More protein cells.
0: And you need the proteins there for the DNA to function. In the first place. Yes. And I added the part that DNA is actually not a material. It's a code. It's one thing when you see a cake and you say, how did this cake come? And you say somebody spilled a thousand sugar. But when you see a shape and you see a cookbook describing the cake, I mean, the, the DNA is not material of any of, of any. The protein is a material that, that the substance was important. The DNA really, it's it's the it's the um, it, it's just an instruction book. And that's it. And um, he he, he um, tries to work with RNA, and maybe by chance it happened. It's tough enough doing it in the laboratory, and no one has come anywhere near producing RNA by mixing simple molecules and subjecting them, subject them to the um, imagined conditions when the earth was young tries to come up with protein, and um, he also explains that, um, he also goes into the issue of the cell, cell, that no one's ever figured out how to do it, a cell cannot exist in itself, it needs to have a, a, a sack around it, um, its vesicles, and, uh, how this happens, and so on, um, then the last, uh, the last, um, I- uh, piece that he has is called Back to Miracles, None of the present theories of the origin of life is strongly favored by the scientific community. In fact, I would not blame you if by this stage, doubt is creeping to your mind or is perhaps already firmly installed in the throne room. Francis Crick, who happened to be the one who discovered DNA, has written, the origin of life appears to be almost a miracle. So many other conditions which would have had to be satisfied to get it going. The finger of God is certainly a tempting way out. The probability of a crowd of small molecules forming the needed large molecules to start the long complex process of single cell seems to be, um, almost zero. Going back to our 200, now, he started off that a human being is really $200 worth of chemicals. Going back to our $200 worth of chemicals again, no one would deny that attempting to create Kim Bassinger, Mel Gibson, by heating and shaking the mixture, although worth trying, might take forever. But that doesn't prove that life had supernatural origins. Up to now, in attempting to prove that it hasn't, we probably just made the wrong starting assumptions. The problem is that we don't know what the right ones are. Now, let's um, think about what he said. So, in a certain sense, he's restating much more forcibly the points we said. He is dealing with the issue of, um, with the issue of uh, the complexity of life. But... Now I, 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 I want to look at the human angle in this one. Here is a highly intelligent person, um, really an anarcho-scientist an, an saying, okay, um, I, I have this incredible complex entity in front of me called life. I have no theory that explains it naturally whatsoever. But I'm not willing to accept that someone outside designed it. So my question is now: Is that objective? So, so when when I when I say to myself, here's a person looking for the truth, and it's just like if I catch, um, if if I catch uh, if my closest friend on video shooting somebody, his fingerprints are on the gun, um, he he can't explain where he was in that time. The video shows him shooting and he had a reason to kill this person, and I keep denying it, because it couldn't possibly be him, and the videos a frame up, they combined the other videos, and the, they got his DNA on this that. I ask myself, am I looking for the truth, or is this because I like the friend? So, you know, for a friend it's okay. I, I don't understand, if a scientist is objective, if he's willing to say, obviously I'm convinced that something has to design it, but as a scientist, I have no way of quantifying it, explaining that, or dealing with it, Fine, I'm 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 good with that because science does not need to deal with religion. It's it's not meant to deal with it. Cookbooks don't deal with all the A science book should deal with the flat biology. But when you're coming now and peddling a world view, like he says, the crusade of the book is to show how science took us out of the darkness of the creation story to the light of science. And you're telling me that Seichel has not come up. Ivura havam in how it could be otherwise. It, it really questions the objective. I, I, I mean, and I want to explain, I guess, going off tangent a bit, but like we started in one of our beginnings Shroom, it's hard a lot of times to separate the subjective from the objective. And um, it's not, I, I don't think that this scientist is going to, he's, he's explaining, Noamuna so he shouldn't have to keep the Torah. I think it's a lot simpler than that. And um, you, you, you grow up in a society, you go to college, evolution is the fact as clear as one of the books here says, as clear as, it's as accepted today, this is in the Encarta, um, Encyclopedia has it on evolution. It, it is, it is a theory today that is as acceptable as the world being round and the um, earth going around the sun. In other words, denying it is as, it, so you grow up in that environment. How, um, how would you feel if you would come up and say I think it's intelligent design. I mean, just like La a person who's brought up in a firm environment, has certain restrictions and is not going to become a strong cofer, it takes a lot of course and efforts to do it. If somebody who's brought up in an environment where it's universally accepted as being fact and you're a lunatic if you think otherwise, um, h- how how objective do you really think um his evaluation is. And basically, he's saying that. He, he's saying, here we have this incredibly it's incredible thing which demands somebody designed it. I have no alternative explanation for it. And yet, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on strong because someday science will discover the alternative. Why? I, 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 is that a, a rational approach? Or is that, it, it has to be that way because there's no way I'm going to believe. Right. Yes?
1: I mean, sometimes people refer to what's known as the God of the gaps which yeah. is sort of you. what you don't understand, you say that's God, and then once you understand something, that's not God anymore. So I mean, what's, why is that an invalid approach? Because if you're going to say, well, this is God, it's inexplainable, but then you come up with an explanation well, that well, doesn't involve God. Th- so that sort of sets the precedent of when I approach these problems, why should I sort of just sort of quote <laughs> unquote blame it on God when I can help with another explanation later?
0: Well, l- let me give you an analogy or two. Um, every doctor goes with a certain sense. If a person comes in with the sniffles, a doctor doesn't test for a tumor in the nose, even though um, occasionally th- there will be the person who has a tumor in the nose and with sniffles. Um, he, you know, there's a famous saying, you know, when you hear hoofbeats, it's horse, think horse is not zebras. On the other hand, you get, you know, these doctors write up these famous cases where this guy came in and seemed to be a regular cold, but on second thought and so on and so forth. And um, you, you generally say to yourself, there are the exceptions. And, you know, even, even when, you know, and you need to take into account one in a thousand, one in a million, whatever it is. And there's a the general rule. A doctor um, in America today, where they pay for all this stuff, they extend you for an MRI with every nurse type. But a, a general, a Bardas doesn't do that. So there are gaps that we didn't know, and we think we have a, a, a way to explain it, which is fine. But just because of one case, why would you, something something that's complex tells us was designed. Something that is so incredibly complex, that's our most basic um, approach to knowledge is that there's a cause and effect. And we haven't come up with any cause except for that. So, so if a person says it's not 100% proof there's got, I understand it. But that you're not willing to consider it as overwhelming evidence, and therefore you should be honest and say, I think at this this point it does seem to me that there's some outside intelligence has brought this into the world. Um, it, it's not absolute. I may find that that would be a correct statement. But to, but to present the problem and yet remain with the conclusion that he's remaining with, it, it, it does show a, a human fault. And I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm just explaining um, that when people live in an environment, I remember a small thing. When I was young, um, ulcers were categorized together with heart attacks and cancer as being caused by the body itself running haywire. Yeah, whether it was stress or whatever it was. And a, and a doctor that would have suggested a bacteria would have been lost his license to practice, would have been termed a quack. Um, the, the people were actually... Pino's bacteria were, were snubbed, and they weren't given the time of the day, until finally the, the whole co was proven, and now it's standard, you know, we treated with, 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 with antibiotics. So, type of antibiotics. Um, there is, there is a general, it's, it every scientist doesn't have all the facts and doesn't sit down and reinvent the wheel and reconsider it. Um, he basically, a, a, a normal person goes along with the consensus of normal people. So, the fact that people just accept the fact, Um, I hate to use the muscle, but it's just like when you have a thousand signatures on something, um, you know that two or three people really made the decision, and the other people say if they feel that way, we feel that way. Scientists don't sit down and rediscover things. Um, Way too many things that I learned in school have been basically phased out. And even though the research was there already, but it takes time. the, The... thinking of the, of the scientists as a whole, um, goes in a certain direction, and it changes very slowly. If people do act as part of a large group, and people don't buck the system, and, um, you know, when you see it. Here's somebody, he has a certain attitude, and this attitude is not going to change. And this is a side point, I guess, which I, um, went off because I think it's very important. I would actually, um, like, I, I will make this point, at the next stage when we speak about a complexity of things going from simple life form to more complex life form there's also something like that that i like to point out on a personal note because it's kadai to remember the problem is science presents itself as science and not as scientists it presents itself as a subjective like a computer computer it does not introduce any subjective elements science as a whole does not produce subjective elements. It's not true. People are people. And science as a whole has seen itself as um as coming to um demyth our perception of the world. Um in, in, in a in a certain way religion is fine for ethics and stuff like that, but it's certainly not um doesn't deal with the physical world. And that's an attitude. And Bimela anything that we would not be able to explain Clearly, we still say science will someday find a, a way out and so on. Uncle, pardon, let's, let's recap the points. We've dealt with the first part that should strike a person as being um, impossible. And again, I'm using the word impossible not 100%, but so improbable that he needs to ask himself, why am I thinking otherwise? Uh, just like a judge when he's presented overwhelming evidence and he says, but, you know, not 100%, you ask yourself, hey, um, why is it that you're so on a limb to make it a hundred percent? The gap between non-living to living is not covered by anything we know. We can't even imagine a model that it would happen because all the models deal with um, chemicals. Can we produce an enzyme under... And different, 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 different types of conditions. Well, yes, in the laboratory we do it, so we could theorize the world. But an enzyme is not really a living thing; it's a chemical. A living entity is a cell, which means an organized form of um, of existence that is so incredibly complex that it defies the imagination. You need sixty, seventy thousand things in one shop. To be viable, that's the key. It's not a surprise. You can't start off with one chemical and work your way up. A a cell needs to have a way to bring in food, a way to identify food, a way to break down the food into simple components, a way to get rid of the things that are not necessary for it, a way to 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 move. It needs a sense of direction. It needs it needs a sense of shape. Um, And bacteria all have um, very specific shapes. Um, and they, they they don't change those shapes. Those shapes are built in. We don't have a clue to that. And the most um, and 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 the most difficult of it is understanding a DNA itself. DNA is a book. It's a code. It's 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 um, imagine finding a book on how to create life and saying that came about as an accident concurrent with the accident of life itself. Um, it it's a, and and it works in a cell in a way that is so interdependent on two levels. DNA in itself means nothing. It's like writing a book about a country that doesn't exist. Imagine somebody writing a book about Bulgaria, a thousand years before it existed, describing Bulgaria. There was no Bulgaria. There is no Bulgaria. What does it mean having a code, a DNA code, for things that haven't happened yet? That certainly couldn't come about by an accident. And it it, would be meaningless. there's no reason to have a code for something that doesn't exist. And on the other hand, proteins coming together um, without a code are finished. You need the miracle of creation again and again. And at what point, I mean, DNA doesn't, I, 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 a, a half a string of DNA, a quarter of a string of DNA doesn't mean anything. Besides which, it is, the DNA needs the proteins to survive, the proteins the DNA to survive, so they're interdependent also on a physical level. Those are the extraordinary, um, the, the o- almost impossible, um, way of finding a natural of itself. The word, the key word being without any guiding hand for it to happen. Without something on the outside putting it to place. And that something on the outside the thing we can say about it is it it, it, it is able to create something with 60 or 70 thousand pieces that fit together, work together, are written in code and have a structure that they can complement each other, and is a, is a is a being that is able to survive. Its, it it it's able to keep itself against outside elements. It can bring in material to build itself. It can get rid of material that destroys it. It can it, move away from danger and move towards things that enhance it. Yes,
1: R- sort of the I And mean, you could even say that if you want to, sa- you know, say the statistics of the DNA in the cell actually coming. Spontaneously at the same time was one a billion or whatever you want to say, one a trillion, whatever you want to say the number is, there's still, you would need that to survive. I mean, that, right. that could have w- happened at one time, and then who knows, like a wind could have blown or like. Right, right,
0: right. It really happened to recur many times. Um, next time, I want to look at one or two arguments that are also pap arguments but have flaws in them. I think it's important when we speak about the different ways of looking at it, to try to understand. Because if, if once you're dealing with it, you will hear other arguments. And th- there are flaws in those arguments, and I would like to present them as well. And then I'd like to move on to the, the, um, the next stage, which is going from a simple, um, molecule, simple cell to a complex being, and the gap from, uh, biological entities to man. Okay, we'll hold it down. Okay, so we have six and seven, okay, six and seven on today's, Lord help that it did come out.